Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of A Modern Nonprofit Podcast. I'm Tasha Anderson. I'll be your host today. But we're not going to be talking about accounting today. We're going to be talking about something else that I find really interesting. Danielle, I, I, I saw your bio and I saw your work and I was really interested to dive into this conversation because I've been working in the nonprofit space for many, many years. I've been aware and had many conversations about having um, awareness and intentionality around people with all different sorts of backgrounds, um, abilities, and I also attend a lot of events, and we try to marry those two things together. So I was really interested to hear a little bit more about uh, your work and what you're talking about. And for those of you that have not had a chance to meet you yet, uh, I brought bringing on my friend, Dr. Daniela Berdico, and she is working with um, kind of bringing awareness to the space on sensory and making sensory um, accessible to people or making events accessible to people that might struggle with you know, sensory disorders and, and other things that might be difficult for them um, for, for other people that may not have that. So you created um, sensory access. Tell us a little bit about that and, you know, tell us why that might be relevant to the nonprofit world or to everyone's world, frankly. Sure, certainly. So yeah, we started, my daughter and I um, started Sensory Access, um, gosh, in 2017 now, um, way before there were any thoughts of a pandemic coming our way. Um, and, you know, what we, Kind of learn through being really active in the community so lots of theater lots of musicals um sports events mm -hmm. we travel mm -hmm. a ton um my son is autistic my daughter's neurodivergent so am i and so we really try to push the envelope of continuing mm -hmm. to build our cognitive flexibility by putting ourselves into as many situations as we can and that, that you know it's, it's uncomfortable sometimes but it really helps build that cognitive flexibility what mm -hmm. we noticed is that a lot of these events we went to is that a lot of people really struggled. So let's say, mm -hmm. you know, you're at a theater event and there's a family there and partway through they have to leave because they can't mm -hmm. handle the bright flashing lights or a big surprise moment that happens during that mm -hmm. show. Or mm -hmm. um, there was another incident where we took our son who'd been wanting and wanting to go to this practice camp for the Seahawks and he'd just been waiting to go. We finally got tickets. We went there and it was so sensory overwhelming from all the, you know, adult men kind of pushing around to the sounds and the lights it was so overwhelming we've been there five minutes he's been waiting for months and he's like i gotta go home i can't be here and it was just like us seeing him wanting to do something so badly and then not getting the opportunity like other people there to do it and we were able to kind of make some different things work from some really nice people there that allowed him to access the space where there wasn't the crowding and the pushing and, and everything and when my daughter and i just started thinking like why isn't that more you know, common? Why is there accessibility for some things or for someone, you know, that has a mobility difficulty, but rarely do I see accessibility options for someone who is hard of hearing or blind. That's happening a little bit more, but you don't see that as often. And then you certainly barely ever see accessibility for individuals that are autistic or have Down syndrome or have sensory differences, differences in how their brain processes sensory information so that, you know, crowding and lights and sounds really do become incapacitating, right? Um, and so that's why we created Sensory Access. Um, and we, you know, I've been part of the events world for a long time. And so that tends to be our focus as travel and events, um, because that's what we know the best and really trying to figure out what are some tools and some awareness we can create in that world to make events accessible to everyone. Because every Everyone should have the opportunity to, you know, be with their community and watch a show, see a concert, you know, alongside everybody else, not segregated off somewhere else. And so that's our goal is to make all of these ha things happen for everyone. 
Yeah, it's so interesting because I was thinking how many times I've worked with organizations that work with populations that would fall in the under any of those categories that you had mentioned, and they themselves hold events. I used to work for an organization that that held um, events, and I would definitely say, in hindsight, looking back, that. Um, I guess the right word would be um, sensitivity to other people's limited sensory, whether it's visual or like you said, hearing or just sudden movements and sounds and, and, and lights and all of these things weren't really taken into consideration. And I think it's one of those things, a lot of people just don't think about it, but maybe they should be thinking about it more. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Which brings yeah, I think in the nonprofit yeah. world, there's so many events that happen, right? So we yeah. have fundraisers all the time in the nonprofit world. And is yeah. there a thought that goes into making sure that everyone has access to those? You know, the guests, mm -hmm. the artists that are presenting or, you know, creating entertainment, you know, is it accessible to them? Is the art form or whatever, you know, usually a lot of times at a fundraiser, you might have something that you want to wow the audience with. Well, sometimes that wow factor includes mm. lots of you know, sensory impact, which is great for creating an impact, but you want to make sure that's an um, accessible impact for everybody. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So speaking of that, what are you doing to make events more accessible? Because when I start thinking about this accessibility and I, and I don't know if I'm alone, but I'm just starting to think, okay, what kind of, you know, you can go down the path of being sensitive to all the different accessibility needs, right? Where do you kind of get started? How do you make events more accessible? Where should you kind of start from? Or what should be the baseline that you should be starting from? Yeah. Um, and then kind of going upwards from there. So what are you doing um, or helping with, I should say, to help making events more accessible? Where so I think start? in general, if you are putting together an event, I mean, I think the first most important thing is to really speak to people, you know, either experts in that field of accessibility or experts, you know, mm -hmm. or people that come from that perspective, right? Because we don't want to design an environment or an event for someone that's autistic or hard of hearing without having mm -hmm. someone from that community be part of that decision-making process, right? There's this, you know, phrase, nothing about us without us, right? That mm -hmm. a lot of people in the disability community say like, hey, if you're going to create something to help us, let us be part of that right. decision making and show you sure. what we need instead of some higher up somewhere deciding what we need right so sure. for us for example at sensory access we're all neurodiverse and we have individuals that are hard of hearing and have visual impairments etc on our staff that we consult with so that's a really important piece i think really almost any environment can be made sensory accessible i mean mm -hmm. we've um, made Lollapalooza music festival accessible across a couple different places on the globe we've just recently been working with the world's fair uh, which is in oh, Dubai this time around. And that is the first ever accessible, sensory accessible uh, World's Fair. Um, and we do that through a variety of things. The most important thing I think is providing information. So if you're a person whose brain processes sensory information differently, usually more um, you know, strongly and it has more of an impact mm -hmm. on you, what you don't want is to be surprised. So if I want, let's say if I'm at the World's Fair and I want to go look at the Italy Pavilion, I have no idea what to expect. I might go in and it might be really peaceful as I walk in and I might turn a corner and go in one room and all of a sudden there's strobing flashing light and big sounds and an immersive 360 degree video and I have a complete, you know, panic, right, because right, I can't right. handle that environment. So part of what we do at Sensory Access is any given event or environment is we go through and we bring our team of autistic and sensory processing individuals through an environment and we rate it. So we rate mm. it on, you know, audio, including taking decibel levels, um, visual, tactile, scent, you know, sometimes there's scents in places that we wouldn't expect and someone could be sensitive to that. So we go through all of that. 
And then we create a sensory rating card that lets anyone that's about to go through a space or an event know like, hey, before you go through this, here's some places, um, you know, here's all the places and here's what their sensory impact is. So then that person can decide, okay, maybe I can do the whole thing or maybe I avoid that mm -hmm. one room because I don't like that. I don't want my brain experiencing that, right? Or maybe right. I go through that room, but I put my headphones on or I put my sunglasses on or whatever that individual needs to make it through an experience. So now all of a sudden they have information ahead of time. They they can enjoy it alongside their family or friends or community. They don't have to be segregated out, but they have everything that they need in order to do that safely. Right. And that mm -hmm. makes a, a big, big difference um, at some place like Lollapalooza, for example. And if not, everybody knows that's a huge music festival that's done in mm -hmm. Chicago, in the U.S. and then all over the world. Um, what we do is we have staff members at every stage. Um, so in case there is someone in the crowd that is starting to struggle that, you know, we know who they are ahead of time and we can kind of help them navigate that. We have um, sensory friendly areas where they can come. We have a whole tented area with special seating and headphones and earplugs and fidgets and, you know, sensory chairs um, so they can come and kind of take a sensory break and then go back out into where it is really, really crazy. But now that their sensory sets, uh, system has reset, they can, you know, feel like they can do that. So it's all about, you know, giving someone the choices that they can make for themselves in how they can regulate their sensory environment, even in places where, you know, the norm is kind of a crazy environment. As long as you have a place to kind of retreat to for a little bit, and you also know what to expect, that's most of the battle right there. I think that's really interesting to kind of map through an event and almost kind of even on a smaller scale because we work with a lot of really small social service agencies but i'm just mm -hmm. thinking as and i've been to many nonprofit events that they can control right and i just think as i'm going through the experience even just the original entryway of going in and lots and lots of people and lots of busyness and where am i going am i going the right place very overwhelming even for yes. people that that maybe aren't sensitive to some of these you know, <laughs> unexpected moments during that time. And then, you know, it's just, okay, what do I got to do? I have to go here and I have to go there. And then the loud music and the band playing and, and all these sorts of things. So I really like the idea of mapping through your event, um, even if it's a smaller event, just to kind of think what would any person be experiencing and how would other people might take this and would it be really difficult? And I know um, Sometimes audio is really bad in events. So I'm imagining like having text written up on um, the projector screen so people can follow along. Otherwise, um, may not be able to hear um, whether because, and it's a good backup plan too, because if the audio doesn't work, then hey, everybody wins. So um, exactly. I love that. It kind of goes back that. to the idea of universal design, right? The idea of universal design is you create something for everyone. And when you create mm. something for everyone, that includes people with different types of, you know, disabilities and abilities mm. and et cetera. And so your example is a perfect example, right? If I'm going to just a small nonprofit event, but I don't know how to get there, which one mm -hmm. is the entrance? Where do I go to register? What is the sound going to be like? What am I expecting? Yeah. Is there entertainment? What is it going to be like? So in that instance, usually we create what we call a social narrative. So we'll meet with mm -hmm. the meeting, um, you know, facilitators and we'll say, okay, we're going to come and we're going to take pictures of the front door. We're going to take pictures mm -hmm. of where the setup, the registration table is going to be. We want a schedule of events. We want to find out what is the sound going to be like. If someone sounds sensitive, maybe they want to sit near the back. If they have some visual impairments, maybe they want to sit up close. Mm -hmm. Can we have, you know, either um, captions or an ASL interpreter, or what are some of the things that we can bring into this event to make it accessible for everyone? And there are some really easy, small things, including the social narrative, which is such a simple thing to do, um, to really make it more accessible. And then everybody wins from that, right? Like, 
most people would love to have a document that says, hey, you're going to go here. It looks like this. And this is what's going to happen, right? That's helpful for everyone, yeah. not just, uh, you know, percentage of, of people that have disabilities. And so I think in the end, going back to the idea of universal design um, is really, really helpful. But again, it also needs to be done in a way that is helpful and um, kind. You know, what I see a lot of times is I see these social stories that are written for autistic individuals. And so I'll say something like, oh, here's a social study or a, a social narrative for a museum. But for some reason, most of the ones I see out there are written as if they're written to a five-year-old. You know, I'm going to go to the museum and I'm going to do this, which is great for the small population of young children that might read that social story, but an autistic adult or an autistic teenager right. can be offended by that, right? Because they don't mm. want to read something in that. And so I think it's really important, again, involve the very group of people that you want to help, right? So have someone yeah. come in and create these accessibility things for you that is coming from that perspective. So it's done respectfully and helpfully and with the idea of something that is helpful for everyone. I, I love that example that you gave because I think sometimes people think, and one of the things that comes to my mind, we have a local circus and they have, you know, a, a kind of a sensory accessible um, event every year. It's like, you know, of all of them, you know, just like they have like a no peanut show. They also have a sensory um, sensitive show. And I think when people think of things like this, I'm not, maybe I'm just projecting because I'm thinking of the, the circus, it's a, that the children can handle the overstimulation of what they're doing and what they're experiencing. But you bring up a really great point. There are many adults. I would like to have a manual that tells me who, what, when, where, why, what do I, you know, it's kind of a joke. I, I tell people, I'm not the writer diaper. I'm the ride along, ask 10,000 questions. What are we doing? What am I eating? When am I coming back? Like what's going on? <laughs> who will be there? I need to know all of the questions. And I really like what you had said. And I think I, maybe I'm projecting a little bit because I think sometimes people assume small children, but absolutely. could be absolutely adults that have you know, the need to understand these things as well and speak in a tone that would be respectful of any adult. Um, so I, I really like that. So yeah, a lot of the stuff you talk about, it's not just because, you know, you yourself or your daughter or your son, as you had mentioned, have, you know, any sort of disability or neurodiverse, but you actually have a background in studying how the brain works and yes. helping people coach through that. So you're a neuropsychologist and I'm yep. curious to know through your own lived experience of your family, as well as your background, how have you leveraged that educational background? Like, well, I'm not just, you know, lived it, but I've learned it through my education. How do you bring that to the forefront of your event planning? What do you that's use a, there? That's a really good question. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I've been a neuropsychologist since 1999 now, um, and I've always been fascinated by, you know, how our brain works, but specifically mm -hmm. with how do we process the world? You know, how do we process when we see things um, or process information differently, um, whether that's our attitude in life or that, you know, this specifically what we're talking about now, which is that sensory processing piece, mm -hmm. right? And I think a lot of people still, unfortunately, make that assumption that like, well, what is this sensory processing? Like, oh, okay, it's, it, you know, it, they just think it's a little louder. No, our brain is very much capable of processing things in different ways in there, you know, study after study has been done that some individuals really do process in that part of their brain, you know, where they process sensory, they process it differently, it is more impactful to them. And so it is, you know, 
really difficult to make it through um, certain types of environments. Mm -hmm. And so I try to do some education on, you know, so it depends on my audience, right? Sometimes we'll get mm -hmm. down and talk about neuroanatomy. Um, sometimes we'll bring real life examples. Um, and then in terms of my practice, so I have a private practice still where I still do diagnosis. I work mm -hmm. with kids all the way up through in their 20s. And I, so I work a lot with them and with their families. And I hear so many stories about, you know, we never travel. We never go to Disneyland. We can't do that. We could never do that. And it's like, oh my gosh, no, let me tell you how you can do that. You deserve to go. You could do, you should be able to do all the things everybody else does. And here's how, right? And so I, I, it kind of goes back and forth through all of the schooling and education experiences I bring to it. You know, I bring that to sensory access. And then of course the stuff I do at sensory access flows into my practice as well. And really trying to give people this hope and this energy to try some of these things and like trying different ways of making it through those experiences. And I think, you know, having this really odd experience of, you know, kind of my um, educational background and my personal experiences at least makes for a really rich point of view. Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with, you know, there is always something to having the educational component, but then you couple that with real life. I've lived it. I've had to navigate it um, personally with my children. Um, you know, I've successfully traveled or I've successfully done this or that experience um, while still navigating some of those waters is makes it so much more credible and relatable, relatable yeah. for so many parents. So, you know, I think in the nonprofit world, we see the value of, you know, being inclusive. And I think sometimes we probably still miss the mark on so many different things. And this conversation really, I was really interested about this conversation and the topic when, when it was, you know, when I was reading through all the, the prep materials. And I think it's an area where we maybe just don't think about it as much as we should. Um, and Obviously, inclusivity is important, but I'm curious to know from your perspective why this is so important with sensory and maybe elaborate a little bit more on because I think some people think sensory, they think um, on the autism spectrum, or you had mentioned some like visual or hearing, maybe some other examples that oh, I didn't think about that as being inclusive or not inclusive, right? Uh, I think we can all agree it's important, but what are some of those other uh, you know, disabilities that you're referencing and, and why those are so important to kind of think about and not lose sight of just because they're not, you know, as mainstream as maybe we think they are, they're not as impactful or uh, not as many people suffer from them as we think. Well, I think for me, the most important thing is to again, be really specific with information, right? So when you're, for example, asking about different disabilities, you know, it can be someone who has epilepsy as, as an example, right? Mm -hmm. We don't necessarily think about that, but usually there's, you know, a strobe warning, like, oh, if you go mm -hmm. into this building, there will be flashing yeah. lights or this movie. But you've now, by doing that, made the entire thing completely inaccessible to that person with photosensitive mm -hmm. epilepsy. What should happen instead, you know, if it's a movie or if it's um, an event or an experience to say, hey, in this one room over here, there's strobing light or um, one hour into this show, they're strobing light. That allows that person to go in, enjoy it for whatever period of time. And then when they know the strobing is coming up, either put on sunglasses if that's helpful enough to them or leave them that experience for the moment and then go back. But when we just say like, mm. oh, this has strobing, sorry, that's not helpful. That's not inclusive because you're saying the entire experience is not now within reach for that person, right? And so yeah. the same thing, if we go through an experience, if we were just to say, oh, well, this experience 
events, this music festival, or this, you know, evening of nonprofit, you know, fundraising is going to be loud. So just so you know, that is not mm -hmm. helpful or inclusive information. We need right. to give specific information so individuals that have disabilities can make choices for themselves mm -hmm. and can choose what accommodations they need in order to be able to attend that experience instead of basically being told you can't attend, right? There's a huge difference there. And I think that's why it's so important to provide that information. Absolutely. So if somebody were, you know, wanting to do a little self audit of <laughs> their events or events, maybe that they participate in and say, hey, you might think about this. Um, you had mentioned before that you work with some pretty large events or venues um, that, that put on, you know, events that are more accessible to people or trying to be more accessible to people. If somebody wanted to chat with you, follow along with your work, read more about you, um, where would be the best place to find that information? If somebody's like, this is completely slipped off my radar and I need it to be on my radar, where would be the best place people can chat with you? Uh, probably the best place is our website. Um, you know, we have some examples of our work there, um, just kind of an explanation of what we do, the different certifications that we offer if someone wants to have a certification of events. So everything's there. Um, it's sensoryaccess.org. Sensoryaccess.org. Excellent. Yeah. So you yourself are a nonprofit, huh? Yes, absolutely. Okay, <laughs> excellent, excellent. So great. Any any last you know pieces of advice that nonprofit leaders could be um, kind of taking into consideration when they're thinking? I really love what you're saying. I don't even know how to get started. I'm really overwhelmed. Or any other pieces of advice that you've learned, not just running your organization, but also through a sensory lens, working with other organizations. Any final bits of advice that you might give to um, leaders of organizations that might be interested in hearing this and looking to be more progressive in the work that they're doing and the events that they hold? Absolutely. I think, you know, the most important thing is just to have it as part of your design process for an event. When you're planning mm -hmm. an event, think about how can I make this accessible to everyone? And then it, mm -hmm. it sounds overwhelming, but it's really not. If you talk to someone like myself and there's other organizations out there, right? If you just bring someone in who has experience doing this, they will do it for you, with you, you know, in, in a way that it's affordable to really help you do it. So it's not so overwhelming. Mm -hmm. It shouldn't be an overwhelming process. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, that, that experience of walking away from having done it the first time and then the second time, you know, it becomes a lot easier. And it's really just like, mm -hmm. okay, I needed to make sure when I'm designing this event that I do this, this, and this. It's always easier when you go into it that way versus at the mm -hmm. very end, like, oh, my events in a week, we should be accessible. Can you help me? That happens to me all the time. I've literally wow. had people call me at like, hey, our events, you know, on Monday, and we haven't really thought about accessibility. What can you do? It's like, well, it's a little hard at this point, um, so right, more, right. you know, all of the different pieces are thought about and designed and planned at the outset, the easier and less expensive it really is, so. Oh, that's a good point. Okay, so sensoryaccess.org, they can find you there. Um, okay, well, Dr. Ferdico, thank you so much for joining us today, sharing your experiences. I love hearing some of your practical tips. Um, something, frankly, I've not thought enough about. Um, I think when we think of disabilities, we think of just you know, 20 year ago, you know, physical <laughs> disabilities yeah. and accessibilities. And I'm starting to see more and more accessibilities with, with other disabilities. And I think it's a conversation we need to continue having and figure out how we can do better and better. And as the nonprofit community continue to be role models for those um, that maybe aren't in this space, but because we work with, you know, all different populations, we should certainly be more um, in tune with this. So thank you again yeah. for bringing this conversation to light and sharing your resources. And Check out sensoryaccess.org if you want more information. Thank you again. Until next time, everybody.